listening to the New Mamas Podcast. Hey everyone, it's your host, Lena Forrestal, and today I have Ashita and Orion on here with me today from Consumer Reports to talk about baby product safety and to review a recent list of dangerous baby products that new parents should avoid. I feel like we always see these lists floating around and they are really helpful. So I'm super excited to talk to them about what do companies go through once they get listed on consumer reports for products to avoid, if there's any repercussions, basically what happens next, right? Like, oh, I'm so excited to get into it. Ashita and Orion, welcome to the podcast. And please introduce yourselves and share a little bit more about what you do at Consumer Reports. Sure. So my name is Ashita Kapoor, and I'm the Associate Director for Product Safety at CR. And I've been at CR for a little over two years now. Hi, uh, my name is Orianne Shen. I am Policy Counsel here at Consumer Reports, um, mainly focusing on product safety. And so for the past four years, I've been working on these critical issues, including safe sleep, as well as other infant products and other consumer products that might be in your house. Ooh, yes. And I feel like we know we live in, in America, here in America, we live in such a big consumer centric society. There's always influencers, myself included, touting products that we really like that really work for our families or who pay us to promote them. So I feel like lists like these are so important. So let's get into it. Consumer Reports recently came out with an article that cites five dangerous children's products parents should avoid. I'll link it in the show notes for everyone listening. But before we get into the products themselves, I'd love to understand how do products end up on a consumer reports list? We actually, um, consumer reports, as you know, the mission is always consumer first, right? And we always want to make sure that we take care of that. And in a way where we can actually benefit the consumer, whether that's giving them early notifications of products that are hazardous. And we do this multiple ways. Because this is such a priority for us, we've actually built a system around this where we actually track hazards and injuries, whether that's coming from consumers, whether that's coming from hospital data. And we really analyze this data further to really see what are products that are either causing death, either causing injury, or just people that are complaining about products. And based on that matrix, then we really decide what to uncover and further investigate. Very interesting. And how do parents access the most updated consumer reports lists? So we actually just launched this week. The timing is great. Um, our new baby page. <laughs> so we are so proud of the work that has gone behind that to put that together because in today's time, as you mentioned, a lot of influencers, a lot of social media, a lot of false information that's out there. We just want to make sure that consumers have a trusted source to go to, you know, that is really data based, that's scientific based, where we actually do testing that's above and beyond in terms of what new parents would want to be looking for today. So I think it's a great resource. Um, you can definitely find articles there that are linked to new products um, that'll give you insights on chemical testing, performance testing. So my recommendation would be check that out and, you know, give us your feedback. I just wanted to add that um, a lot of our work that we do at Consumer Reports regarding product safety, we also do in, in collaboration with other organizations that are passionate and devoted to ensuring the safety of products, including the American Academy of Pediatrics and other nonprofit organizations like Kids in Danger. And so a lot of these hazards that we've been tracking and that we're putting into um, different stories and articles, um, different stories, um, 
come from, you know, years of just tracking what's been going out there to, to parents and tracking, as Ashita said, like what kind of incidents or what kind of reports are out there. And so it's really, it's a lot of different inputs that are really influencing how we pull together these products. And inputs that are ad-free and influence-free, as the banner on your website says. I think I can infer what this means, but do you mind elaborating for the audience what that means? Uh, so pretty much we buy our own products at cost. We don't make deals with any pro- any companies. We, we do the same kind of shopping that an average consumer would do and a, a consumer would do on any given point. What kind of crib do I want? We'll do the same kind of research and then we'll buy things. And so this way we can provide uninfluenced for, I can't think of another, an unbiased review and evaluation based off of what we're finding to be incredibly critical to consider. So different factors, including safety or, you know, how easy is it to use a product or, you know, does it, do we know of anything that people should be aware of? Those kinds of factors all go into it. But yeah, all this means is that what we're testing and what we're providing you are products that we're going in um, without any bias or any preconceptions and giving you our our data-driven results and evaluations. I love that. Such a rarity in these days with the age of influencer marketing Again, I'm part of the problem. I get paid by companies sometimes to test out their products or to use their products. And in a full transparency, sometimes influencers want to continue to work with these companies. So they will hesitate to give a truly honest and unbiased opinion, which can be dangerous. That is why organizations like yours are so important. And last question before we get into the products themselves. Consumer Reports doesn't just report on products to avoid, it also reports on the best products to use. What kind of testing of these products, like what kind of testing do these products go through before an article is published? Do you have focus groups or is it, yeah, you, you let me know. Yeah, I can kick that off. So we have a few different divisions in terms of how the testing takes place at uh, CR. We have our testing and ratings that really takes care of, you know, our legacy products, you know, the products that are used every day in the home, yard and garden, lawnmowers, vacuums, basically, you name it, we have it. And these are part of our testing and ratings, where we're really looking at strictly performance, and not so much compliance testing, but we will include routinely some safety testing if we feel that there's need. We also have deeper dive investigations, which are risk assessments that are really focused on safety alone. Um, And that's led by uh, myself and my team, where we actually look at any emerging hazards or trends that are in the marketplace. And these are considered more long-term projects where we really want to come to a conclusion and make a change in the marketplace. That's great. Thank you for sharing. Let's get into these five dangerous children's products because I'm sure everyone listening is curious because I that's what got like I clicked on it immediately when it got sent to my inbox. I was like, I need to know. And the first one that popped up really didn't surprise me. It was the infant lounger. Um, first listed, I've seen this on the news so many times. For example, Docatot has been a repeat offender, it seems like. Why are these infant loungers so dangerous for new parents? What makes these products so dangerous is we're talking about putting babies in these products for any period of time. And in that period of time, a baby could fall asleep or roll over. And it's it's not uncommon or it's not you know unexpected for a parent, even if it's just for a few seconds, to look away and something disastrous can happen. And a lot of these things can happen. Um, the main 
um, hazards that we're looking out for is like entrapment and suffocation because they're they're padded. They're like round padded loungers that you know if a baby's mouth or, or face gets too close to the to the border, it can really cause some concerning um, situations. And so, and we know from the data that these have been implicated in incidents and um, of injury, serious injuries and even death. And so for these reasons, and as as we're as we continue to work on safe infant sleep with other organizations and with the with other organizations, it's just something that we need to be clear on what is safe for sleep and what is not. And these kind of muddy the marketplace because they look comfortable. Like if you look at it, it looks comfortable for a baby to be in there to lounge, but babies fall asleep. And so what does a parent want to do? It probably don't want to disturb the baby. And so that creates a, a situation, an environment where we just don't want to happen. And so that's why we're always advocating for clear guidance for infant sleep and safe infant sleep to ensure that they, and which is why we strongly supported the laws and um, Safe Sleep for Babies Act that passed, um, as well as the infant sleep product regulations that came out in recent years, because all of these things are to make clear to the marketplace and to parents and caregivers, these are what are safe, cribs, bassinets, play yards, and other products, you really need to take extra caution on how you want to use them, if at all. And um, from our perspective, it's something that we are going to continue to advocate on and um, just try to inform and let people know what we're seeing in the marketplace and in these um, and in consumers' homes through the data. Yeah, I mean, I think Ori definitely um, covered it well, but I do want to also mention that this product had a very high number of deaths and incidents, which is extremely critical in today's time. I mean, we do not see these type of numbers. You know, this is this is a lot. This is a very high volume um, that we're looking at, and this is this is the reason why CR is is really pushing and trying to get the message out there that use these products as intended. But that's not happening, and we know that's not happening. So we definitely know that there's a gap there and we definitely want that gap to be fixed. Okay, so then here's a very tricky question. Whose fault is it when injury or death occurs? Is it companies like Docatot who aren't doing enough testing or enough warnings? Or is it negligence and misuse from unknowing parents? So I will, the first thing that I'll say is um, we never want to, you know, we're very clear that the parents not to blame in any of these situations. Like the last thing we want is to perpetuate this idea that parents aren't using products properly. When you look at a lounger, they're comfortable. It's 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 common sense. It's almost natural to think that a baby would be safe there because it's soft, it's padded, it looks comfortable. And so because of that, I just want to make sure that we make clear that like we are not in the business of parent blaming or victim blaming at all, ever, even if um, somebody's used a rock and play in the past, it's just what's out there. And it's not about blame, but it's about accountability and responsibility for putting products out there. And so um, we've seen over and over and over again that the marketplace incentivizes companies to put out products that that look like they would solve a problem that parents encounter, whether it's not getting enough sleep, a fussy baby, a baby not eating. Like these are all everyday common struggles that parents encounter. I'm not a parent myself yet, but I've heard from all my friends who have newborns that, you know, it's it is it can be a really trying time. And so when these products pop up, not a lot goes into, not a lot is stopping them or making sure that they're safe. A lot of times it's a great idea and it works for their baby. And so they try to promote it as something that will work for every baby, which is just not the case. 
And so that's kind of where we are is just the system is more about reacting to anything bad that's happening. So when you saw the Fisher Price Rock in play, all of that happened in 2019 with um, like dozens of deaths related, there was a reactive kind of um, action that we saw. The company was reactive, people were reactive and thinking, oh, this is not safe. Instead, what we wanna see moving forward is a proactive approach, especially for infant safety, because they're some of our most vulnerable populations in the, in the country, in the world. And we need to make sure that they have all the safety mechanisms and all the safe products out there. And so we really want to see the shift in like concept in the marketplace being from, oh, we'll fix it when there's data, data equals deaths or injuries when mm -hmm. there's a problem. Instead of that, let's stop the problem beforehand and make sure that these products are safe. So I, I just wanted, like, that's how we kind of, that, that, that is how we approach it is more of a, we need to change how the process and what the incentives are. Companies have a large responsibility, but we wouldn't, I don't think it's, we can say that, you know, we can always blame them for what happens. It's kind of the marketplace and how, how our system works right now. That's kind of pushing things the way they are. Thank you for clarifying that. And it is so tricky as new parents, you're tired, you're burnt out. There's a lack of support oftentimes for new mothers. They're often on their own. So if you do have something that solves a problem, and I'm I'm in marketing, that is marketing 101, is make sure that your product or service is always solving a problem for the person you're selling to. Yeah, I feel like we can get, and myself included, I think we can get uh, trapped into some of these maybe unsafe, unknowingly unsafe situations because we are desperate for that five minutes of sleep. Or you hear it all the time. I turned away for two seconds and my baby did this and this. And I can't believe that happened, unfortunately. But that's just how it's, yeah, the life of a new parent with all these products. So the second one that was listed is the Costco Jump Spin and Play Activity Center sold at Walmart. In the article, it's quoted by you, Ashita, actually. Complaints have been coming in for two years, and yet nothing's been done about it. The severity of incidents, along with the fact that we seem to be seeing the same issue occur repeatedly, make it critical that this unsafe product to be taken off the market immediately. And when I read, I read into the article dedicated to this jump, spin and play activity center, and it seems like the straps aren't holding the babies in, they break, or the baby leans too, too forward and they fall out. Like this is like really just poor quality, not good, bad. And I'm confused. Are companies not forced to do anything about baby products that are dangerous? I think that's the first question every mom has is like, okay, if people are dying or kids are that babies are dying, what's the next course of action here? I'm so glad that you brought this one up because this is a prime example of our system showing us these products and highlighting these products where we can actually voice it out, whether that's from the incidents that we've seen or whether that's from the online reviews from the retailer websites. I mean, this isn't this is something that's ongoing. I mentioned it in the quote. Two years, that's a long time. And yet people are still able to purchase this product even today. So that just goes to show, you know, again, there's a flaw. It needs to be fixed. But the thing is, at least from CR's perspective, we're able to get that news out to the consumer, warn them about it, tell them to stop using it and try to get that reach for any future consumers that would even think about buying this product 
don't buy this product. Yeah, especially with so many options out there for products like this. And it's just, it's sad because I feel like a lot of products are purchased even not by the parents themselves, but from grandparents and family and friends just trying to do the right thing and get their friends or family a gift, unknowing that this product is so dangerous. So thank you for clarifying that. The next product listed is the Otteroo Neck Float. For those listening, you've probably gotten an ad for this. I did. So it's a product that's like a little donut float that goes around your newborn slash baby's head when they're in the bath. So they're like suspended by the neck with their head floating up and they're sort of floating around in the bath. I don't know about you, but even before I saw any warnings about this, I looked at this and I was like, no, this is a bad idea. But I know that a lot of parents have also seen a lot of joy. Their babies have experienced a lot of joy in this product because maybe they have learning disabilities and being in the water brings them that comfort. So it's that's tricky. But even though this product has a ton of warnings before you buy it, for example, I think I read in the article itself that when you buy this product from the website, you have to check a box that says you're going to use this product correctly bad things still happen and you can still buy this product. So Orion, you're quoted in the article saying, you cannot rely on warnings. Warnings don't absolve a company of the requirement to create a safe product. These products cannot be made safe with warnings and should not exist, especially for newborns. The product, so I'm getting to my question, the product's creator, their rebuttal is that if the caretaker of the baby is within arm's reach, that no harm can be done if the baby slips and falls into the water. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think this just goes back to what we've been talking about today is just you can be the most vigilant, the most hands-on parent out there, mother, father, auntie, uncle, whoever is taking care of the baby, and you can turn around and in mere seconds, something can happen. And so there is this idea that we can, that parents can be, should always be perfect. And if these are products and if a product can be used perfectly, there would be no problem, but we all know nothing's perfect. And to expect that kind of no mistake kind of parenting, I think that's, that's not, that's not appropriate either. And so one of the things that we need to be clear is that it's not about how good a parent is. And also this is going back to that victim blaming kind of mentality or narrative that we don't want to like slide into because it's not about what the parent can do. It's about what this product is and if this product is safe. Warnings aren't enough. Even there's this thing called uh, the product safety hierarchy. Safety hierarchy. Warnings are always the, the icing on the cake. It's never, it's never meant to be a solution to a hazard or to a dangerous product. It's there to supplement whatever safe, whatever mechanisms there are. But when we're talking about a neck floaty that goes around a baby's neck, like there's not a lot that you can do to make that product safer. It's, it's inherently unsafe. And so, and it puts a baby at risk. Um, and like, I sympathize that, you know, there will be babies who enjoy the feel of the water, but it's not worth the risk, honestly, for a parent to use these products and put their baby in any kind of, it's just not worth the risk because it doesn't take, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take a long time for something bad to happen. And we want to prevent that at all costs. 
Yeah. And there's some crazy statistic that babies can drown in like two seconds. Like you can actually drown very, very quickly. It's just so it's so scary. And like you said, like whenever I think of something even to do with my toddler that I'm like, "Uh, it's not the safest thing. I always ask myself risk reward, risk reward. And then usually the risk is not most of the time. The risk is not worth it. Hey, everyone. It's your host, Lena Forrestal, taking a quick break from this podcast episode to ask you to support the show. I do this show because I love it. And as a self-funded creator, your support can help me pay for things like podcast hosting and an editor. So here's how you can help. Share this episode with a mom friend, caretaker, or soon-to-be mom friend. Leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you wanted to throw me some coins, you can donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash newmamaspodcast. Any little bit helps, and I appreciate your support. Finally, give me a follow on Instagram at Lena Forrestal. I love meeting my listeners, so definitely send me a DM and introduce yourself. Now, let's get back to the show. The next item are weighted baby blankets, swaddles, and sleep sacks. I actually had the founder of Dreamland Baby on my podcast a couple of years ago. And at face value, it seems like a really great concept because we know as adults, like I love a weighted solution. But for babies, I see that in the article even says gentle pressure on a baby's chest or body can potentially inhibit breathing and make it difficult to get out of unsafe sleeping positions that they find themselves in. Why do you think, are there any other um, reasons why this product you think is unsafe and should be avoided? I'm happy to start this one. Um, This one is of particular concern for us right now. The American Academy of Pediatrics recently wrote a letter to um, state, like pretty much laying out where they are with this product. And just to be clear, we're talking about the weighted swaddles. Um, I know that there are times when people might confuse, oh, are, are are the swaddles I use just the cloth? a problem? No. We're talking about the ones with the actual weights that are put on the baby's chest. And we have to remember what feels comfortable for an adult might not be necessarily safe for a baby. Physiologically, they're just different. They're still developing bones. They're still, you know, their skeleton's still forming. And we, and doctors at the AP, at at the American Academy of Pediatrics has pointed out, the chest cavity is still forming on a baby. So any kind of pressure to put on a baby might be putting them at risk. And um, and that's one thing that we have to remember. Another thing that um, the doctors at AP have mentioned is you don't want a baby to be sleeping for more than a couple hours at a time, especially newborns. They're, they're, they're designed to wake up every couple of hours. And so if you're putting them into a longer sleep, I understand that you want that relief for especially for the sleep defri- deprived parent. You're desperate to get a few more minutes of shut eye, but just remember that babies aren't designed to do that yet. And they will, they will get to that point where they'll sleep more than a couple hours at a time. But, um, and those are the real big concerns we have about these. And so this is something that we're, we're monitoring very closely. Wow. Thank you for bringing that up, that babies aren't meant to be sleeping those large clips, they're designed to wake up. Actually, I think it's the a- the American Pediatric Association or the Safe Sleep, one of those that says that you should have, you know, to prevent SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, you should have a fan on. You should have some sort of noise, background noise, so that that baby doesn't fall into a super deep sleep. So it's interesting 
there's just so much information. We live in an age where there's so much information out there, social media being a very good and also very bad thing because there are a lot of people out there, a lot of sleep experts, I'm using bunny quotes or sleep consultants that might not be armed with the best the best knowledge or the best uh, practices. And they, you know, everyone's that like when you see something's like, have your baby sleep eight hours a night. Oh my gosh. As a new parent, you're like, sign me up, whatever it takes. Right. So I think you bring up a good point about how some of these products do prey again on the problem solving and on the, the needs of the parent, especially newborns. Yeah. And it's just something that we want to make clear that, you know, there will be times that there is going to be a product that is helpful and safe for both parent and baby. It's just that the products that we're talking about right now don't fall into that category. Yes. Thank you for the reminder. If you're listening and you're like, whoa, this episode's really doom and gloom over here. It's because we are specifically talking about the products that are dangerous to avoid. So just a reminder, we're not negative Nancy's over here. Okay, so the next product is one that, again, my mommy instinct was like, that sounds like a bad idea. The water beads. For those listening, you've probably seen these on Instagram or Amazon. Um, They are little beads that... Are these the ones that expand? Are the, the water... Yeah, okay. These are the ones that expand. You put them in the water and then they get a little bigger. And it's usually used for sensory play. Now I know my daycare has used these before for sensory play, but these made the list. Why? Yes, this made the list. Again, going back to, you know, looking at emerging hazards in the marketplace, this actually was something that we were tracking for a while. And once we did see the numbers, drastic uptick in incidents, this is something that we had to jump on. I mean, there was, with the amount of risk that could be there of having this product in your home, it is just... It's something that we had to we had to take action on. So we did do some testing, and I mean, these things should not be in homes. If you have kids, they should not be there. I mean, the risk is just way too high. I remember when I was sampling these products. I mean, just opening it up, and it's like everywhere. So it's 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 alarming, right? Whether if you have even if you have toddlers or you have older children, I mean, I think this product just shouldn't be in the home. And the risks that are there of what we're seeing of ingestion, obstruction, I mean, these are these are serious risks that are there and lifelong risks, potentially. So we want to make sure that, you know, we are currently trying to enforce, you know, stricter regulations and stricter, you know, um, positioning on this. So that way there is immediate action that is taken. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree. So in the article, um, Michael, who is a pediatric emergency medicine physician, he says the risks can't be ignored. If you have a child under the age of three, I wouldn't have them in my home. But kind of like you were saying, Ashita, I just wouldn't. Kids are I mean, kids are kids. I feel like we can't. Maybe this is just my per- this is my personal opinion. I feel like we can't trust them as much as we think we can, even though my toddler, I think my toddler's super bright super smart. He knows not to put things in his mouth, but I don't trust him to like have this bright, colorful, pretty ball that looks like candy or looks like something really attractive to put it in his mouth and just explore, right? They're exploring the world through their five senses. I think we just have to be like almost realistic about like, this kind of looks interesting to put in my mouth. Like it looks like bright, beautiful cereal. It looks like sprinkles. Exactly. It looks like And people have used it for those things and found out the hard way, right? 
um, which is super unfortunate. And this is why these products should not be on the marketplace. I'll just add, Lena, that there is a mother who's been really a force of nature uh, trying to advocate for getting the eliminating the water bead for toys. Mm. Her name's Ashley Hagen, and she's often referred to as that water bead lady. She has her own story. She's an impacted mother, um, and her and like her daughter has gone through some some long term chronic um, injuries because of ingestion. And I know that she's constantly like out there trying to advocate and educate people on how dangerous these are, because as we're saying, they look like sprinkles. They're small, they're tiny. They might not look hazardous, but we're not talking about the beginning dry state. We're talking about the end state where they can expand to sometimes surprising sizes. Like, and it's, it, they won't always just pass through. They have been known to obstruct bowels. Like we're talking, we're all, we're again talking about children with smaller everything. Um, what might be, you know, passing through my, my system doesn't necessarily mean it's going to pass through a three-year-old. And so we have to remember, like, we're again, talking about a population that's still developing, growing, not reaching their full size yet. Like they're still tiny in a lot of ways, including their, their digestive tract and all that. And so there are so many other alternatives. Like I remember as a kid playing with like spaghetti or like, or, you know, in around Halloween with like peeled grapes that, you know, feel like eyeballs and you get like freaked out. <laughs> oh my God, eyeballs. But there are other things that you can use to, to have that same type of sensory experience for children. And so we'd much rather have them have grapes than these water bees that more or less don't go away and need to be oftentimes surgically removed. Right. At least great. Like grapes, still a choking hazard, but at least is passable and is digestible. It is food. These are not food. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. And of course, there's orzo, like for pasta, there's orzo pasta, there's pastina, which are those little uh, stars. Like you can still do sensory play with things that are safe and edible, especially for children. And I will add also like the sensory toys, like there's such a pressure on moms these days to deliver like Montessori like experiences. Part of what we're seeing is this pressure on mothers to deliver these experiences and be that Instagram mom or that I think, you know, you guys probably know what I'm talking about, that sometimes it's tempting to get these things, even if they're not safe. So those are our five products listed in this article. Are there any others that you have seen that are sort of floating in the atmosphere of products that you think parents should really avoid? So I would, I just want to reiterate the safe infant sleep stuff, sleep stuff right now. There's a lot of campaign, a lot of education, a lot of resources out there to really just hammer home what infant, safe infant sleep is. And um, and when putting babies to bed, you know, make sure that they are on a firm, flat, um, not inclined surface with nothing around them. I mean, I would, I do not want babies today to be sleeping the way I did as a baby, where I had bumpers, toys, blankets on my stomach. Like, I remember looking at a picture of me when I was like a month old and going, oh my goodness, my, my how times have changed. And this is all science-based. And so, I would just, I just want to stress that like these, these recommendations come from a, from an evidence-based, fact-based, data-based, medical-based um, kind of advice. And so, and so they will, they will give your baby the safest place to rest and sleep. And so that's one thing I did want to press. I'm not, I can't off the top of my head, think of anything 
any specific product, but I'll toss to Ashita as well. Yeah, I can't think of anything specific, but I think um, just on the five that we discussed today, I feel like at least half of them would be selling in very high volume and also be probably a new parent's favorite. So I think with that, I think that just goes to show the amount of risk that's there, that's out there in the marketplace. And I think platforms like this, where we can at least get the messaging across to actually show that side, right? Where people probably have no idea, but I think they need to know and they need to make that change. I know it might not be easy, but you know, it's for the better, right? Like there's proven data that's out there for incidents that have occurred with other infants. And I think that's enough for, you know, parents to, parents will always want to do the best for their child. So I think it's it's that time, right? To kind of look at other options, go back to, like Ori mentioned, flat surface, cribs, bath nets, play yards. Like those are the things that we really want to be using um, for the safe sleep. I love it. My last question is, let's say I have a product that I bought Let's say let's say I bought a because I'm actually thinking like I have a I think it's a mamaru I don't know what I have it's some sort of bassinet thing that moves and rumble. Let's say I want to know if it's safe or not or if there's been any data behind it like not being so great. Can I use your website to search for that? So I think you're thinking of the snoo. Um, I, I feel have, like it's a snoo. Maybe I don't have that. Um, oh, is it the four? I have the four moms. I literally can't oh, remember okay. what I have. It's like, I think it's like a snoo knockoff. <laughs> so generally speaking, these products, if if they're smart, they would mark it saying tested to the mandatory standard because thankfully bassinets have a government, have a mandatory government approved, government stamped standard. So they have to meet a minimum standard of safety and it's strong. And it's actually what the infant sleep rule that like came after in the aftermath of the um, rock and play that that will make sure that your baby is in the safest environment possible if you're not sure talk to your pediatrician they sh- they will be able to provide some additional information cr we're continuing to ramp up our coverage on different products that we um that we're seeing as essential for um for p- new parents and so um check out our new landing page for it it's it's great uh, ishita is top and center in our meet the experts. Um, and yeah, so keep in, uh, just keep an eye on things. If there's ever a problem or if you're concerned about a specific product, go to saferproducts.gov and let the government know too. Let the federal agency that oversees this stuff know because they're going to be in the best position to collect this information right now and to work with companies and to make sure that Ishita has the information she needs for her for her matrix and for her system. And so it's important that we also continue to collect this data. And I think we do have bassinets on there. Um, so I would go and check that out. I don't know if we have the four moms, but I would at least check, you know, go down that list and see the options that are there. Thank you. I will definitely do some more digging. It's it's so funny. My friend and I split this product because it's expensive. And I literally cannot remember what it's called because all these mom products are like the same named the same thing. Um, and that website is for everyone listening, www.consumerreports.org slash babies. So definitely check out that landing page. I think I was brought to it. Like, yeah, I'm clicking on it now. Ooh, no, this is nice. Oh, yeah. Sorry, my live reaction over here. It looks so good. Okay, it's not. So when you go to consumerreports.com, 
yes, there's that. But then you go to slash babies and it is, mm, it is delicious. I think we should bookmark this. Okay. Anyway, check it out. I'll include everything in the show notes. Uh, Ashida and Orion, thank you so much for being with me today. This was great. If you ever want to pop back on and talk about something safety related, you know, we have an open door. Great. Appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Have a great rest of your day. Everyone listening, thanks for tuning in and stay tuned next week for the next episode. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the New Mamas podcast. This podcast was created to help first-time moms everywhere navigate this new stage of life and talk about the honest and the raw moments in motherhood. I'm your host, Lena Forrestal. I'm a working mom by day and a blogger, photographer, and podcaster by mid-afternoon. And as a first-time mom myself, I'm on this journey with you. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did, be sure to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite listening platform. You can donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash newmamaspodcast. Stay in touch by following us on Instagram at newmamaspodcast and Lena Forrestal. Thanks again and stay tuned next week for the next episode. Bye.